Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Good morning, church family, and good morning to those of you joining us on live stream. My name is Rob. I'm the lead pastor here at Sam Alliance. I'm glad you're with us today. I uh, just wanted to get out of the way real quick. You may notice I have a really cool new accessory that I get to display this week. I'm not thrilled about that, but it, this is the most expensive clothing accessory I own. Uh, many of you know, back in November, I ruptured my ACL playing basketball with people much younger than me. And uh, I had surgery just over two weeks ago. I'm recovering really quickly. Thank you to all of those who have checked in, who have been praying for me. Uh, I am just excited. I actually get to preach this weekend and that I can move around a little bit. So thanks for that. Uh, Want to just catch us up and celebrate a couple of things that are happening around here before we jump into the Word of God today. One of those, we're going to throw up a slide here. Remember this series that we did, Gifts, Passions, and Story. We went through this. I'm celebrating the fact that over a thousand of you at this point have taken that assessment. That's just incredible engagement. I'm super excited about that. And the purpose of that series wasn't just self-discovery, but it was how do we then engage in our gifts, in our passions, in our story. And I just want to check in, how are we doing with that? I know many of you have processed those findings from your assessment in your life groups. Many of you have met with the coaches that we have on staff that have asked to connect with you. And some of you have just processed with your families. But we're really excited about what God did through that series. And for those of you that are looking for new ways to engage. I just want to throw out two different opportunities. We long to see our city be a city at peace with God. One of the places you, I want to encourage you to invest is with our city. In fact, if you go to the City of Salem's website, they have all these volunteer opportunities on there. You can just go on there, especially under the city parks and rec stuff. Unbelievable opportunities for maybe you and your family, maybe your life group to just give a Saturday and go and volunteer somewhere. And for some of you, you're like, actually, I have some gifts that I want to just use here in the church building. And to so those of you that like kids, I just need you to know, we are bursting at the seams right now. Our Omni program for zero to two-year-olds, they had 127 kids last weekend, which is just like, they just keep growing like a dozen more every week with all these new young families that are calling Sam Alliance home. So they, they actually are needing to open two new classrooms. So we're looking for more volunteers to help with Omni, thanks to all of those that are already serving there. But we celebrate that. That is a really cool thing. And if you're, yeah, you can... Another thing that we are celebrating is two of our own, two, two good friends of mine, actually. Alex and Yuri are actually in Mongolia right now. These two guys are electricians. Yuri helped plant the Way Church here in town, and Alex is, has been an elder here. He sits on our missions advisory committee, and these two got a call from our, our international workers in Mongolia that they needed some help with some electrical work on a building they're doing. They both just left their jobs. They both own electric, electrical companies. They left their jobs for two weeks. They flew over, and they're serving over there. Would you pray for these guys as they come to your mind this week. And then a final thing we're celebrating is just God has been moving around this place. Last week at our international prayer gathering, which happens in the afternoon in Faith Annex, they started worship at 2 o'clock, and it was like 4.10 when all of a sudden they realized what time it was. Time kind of just dissipated. 
Many of you joined us here on Thursday night for our young adult worship night, and they graciously opened it up to all of us, and it was just an incredible time of worship. The altar was full. We opened up the baptismal tank, and seven more people decided to identify with Christ's death and resurrection, and we just celebrate these amazing things that are going on around here. And I want to thank you, church family, because you've played a role in it. Many of you have served in different ways behind the scenes, whether you're just welcoming people when they come. Many of you have given. And many of you are new to the church, and you're seeing that God is doing something. Can I just encourage you? One of the ways that we're able to do this stuff, like Feed Salem yesterday, is through your tithes and your offerings. And so thank you to those of you that have been giving generously. Thank you to those of you that are considering, you know what? I think I want to enter in and worship in this way as well and just be part of what God is doing. Can I encourage you to do that? There's envelopes in front of you there. You can drop those off in the boxes in the lobby, but there's other ways to give on the app and online. But thank you for your generosity. Today, I want to jump in. We're we're in our series, Unexpected King, and today's story is a story that deals with some transcendent. You hear me talk about the transcendence, how we should have expectations that God will visit us in transcendent ways, but I feel like I need to define what transcendence is. See, Oxford defines it this way. Oxford says, transcendent, beyond or above the range of normal or merely physical human experience. And while that's a decent definition, some people could get confused, and maybe, maybe some of you during the lockdown got into Fortnite, right? And you were in that room and you were playing and all of a sudden it's like dinner time and you realize you never ate lunch. You lost track of time, but that's not what I'm talking about with transcendence. For some of you, maybe you started watching a show on Netflix at eight o'clock and now it's 2 a.m. and you lost track of time and have to be up at 7 a.m. That's not what I'm talking about with transcendence. When I'm talking about transcendence, here's my definition. Transcendent, a spiritual experience that is tough to explain rationally. It's these experiences where we just, we are so entranced by something that we just lose the desire to protect our own comforts. This is not like, this is the opposite of when Candelo is speaking and you're looking at your watch and you're like, is this almost over? That's not what I'm talking about with the transcendent experience. And I can mock him because he's probably our most engaging preacher. So, right, we're good there. What I'm talking about by these transcendent experiences are those angel encounters, I heard another one this week of a a man that was just wrapped up by this big dude that just brought him back into the church building, set him down, he turns around, the guy's gone. I'm talking about these moments in worship where you just lose track of everything and you're just there worshiping the king of kings. All these testimonies coming from the Asbury outpouring that are talking about people saying, 14 hours I worshiped and it felt like five minutes. Well, today we're looking at two transcendent experiences. One, healing, physical healing, and the second, the provision, the nourishment. The feeding of the 4,000 is the story that we're going to be in today. You can go ahead and turn there if you would like with me. We're in Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 39. Let me give you a little bit of context before we jump in. Some of you may be confused, and you're like, the feeding of the 4,000? I thought it was 5,000. Well, here's the deal. In Matthew's gospel, there are two feedings. You are correct. There's one of 5,000, and there's one of 4,000. And Matthew, I believe, beautifully is depicting there are certain differences between these. Most of the stories are outlined literally just almost exactly the same, but there are certain little differences that you're going to see today. 
But Matthew, he tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000. That seems to be an early spring because there's grass on the ground. That's in the area near Bethsaida. It's in Jewish territory. This is what Jesus was expected to do, was to minister to these people that he was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. His disciples are all Jewish. That was this great experience that wasn't that long of an experience where this, this feeding of the 4,000 is over a three-day period. But this story is different. This story is happening in the Decapolis region, which means Jesus is extending his ministry to the Gentile people. And his disciples actually are not happy about this. They're pretty frustrated. He needs to use his resources and time to spend his time with their people, the Jewish people. In fact, you see, this story is right after Jesus has traveled to Sidon and Tyre in modern-day Lebanon, and he has an encounter with a Syrio-Phoenician woman. And the disciples are really upset. Why is he giving her time? Why is she, she pestering him so much for healing? She just keeps coming, and they're just so frustrated. And Jesus eventually relents and blesses her and heals her. Well, this story happens right after that. It's important for us to have this context. Here we are on probably the northeastern shores of the Sea of Galilee in Gentile territory. And we pick it up in verse 29. Matthew 15, verse 29. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking. The blind could see again. They praised the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples and he told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. The disciples replied, where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? And they replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the the fish, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Then Jesus sent the people home, and he got into a boat and crossed over to the region of Magadan. This is the word of the Lord. When I started reading this and preparing for the sermon, the first two questions that came to my mind is what drew the people and what kept them there? What drew the people and what kept them there? And this is an enormous crowd, probably a crowd of over 10,000, which in that day is just huge. So what drew a crowd of that size to this place? Was it rumors of this one that had healing powers? Was it fear of missing out? Was it an inner struggle or desperation that people wanted to know, is there more? Is there something transcendent that I could see with my own eyes? My assumption is that what drew many of these people there was the need for healing. This traveling healer was coming to their area, and so the desperate, the sick, the crippled, of course they came with their families, hoping that there would be freedom from that which had been limiting them for so long. They brought their families, but a crowd of this size had to be bigger than that. And so I believe that you have many onlookers there as well, people that had heard the rumors and wanted to be able to say with their own eyes, I saw it happen. A crowd of 10,000. I picture this hillside in a remote area, and I picture it in a way it's an emergency waiting room. 
And there's all of these onlookers in the gallery wondering what will happen. But what kept them there? I mean, this narrative takes place over three days. And sure, many of them probably knew a crowd would gather. They probably came. This is a picnicking culture, and they probably came with their food ready to lay out and share with others and have this shared experience. But three days? What kept them there? Obviously, for those that wanted that healing, I think their faith only grew as the lines were there and one after another experienced healing. It says they were all healed. And as you're deep in that line, seeing every single person healed, the faith and the the hope has to be rising for you and your family as you get closer and closer and closer to your encounter with this person. But 10,000 people? I believe that Jesus probably was teaching while he was healing. And in that teaching, he was teaching with a power and authority that these people had never seen before. A transcendent experience was being had by these people. So much that their desire to experience it was stronger than their desire for food and shelter and comfort. It kept them there. It kept them there so long that carelessly they ran out of food. Carelessly, now there's a new level of desperation that they have. The food is gone. But what we see here is that this crowd, these people were willing to starve the physical to feed the soul. They're willing to starve the physical to feed the soul. Are we? Jesus steps in here with transcendent provision. He brings healing to those who are sick, and he brings nourishment to those who are hungry. And it's important to notice here in this passage that the provision, the unexpected provision, comes from the compassion of God. Here's one of the first differences between the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. Here in this feeding of the 4,000, it is not the disciples that take notice of the hunger of the crowd, but Jesus himself Obviously, when Jesus heals so often in the Gospels, it says that he took compassion on them. But notice here, partly because the disciples didn't even want to be there with the Gentiles, but it is Jesus who looks upon the people. In the NLT, it says he feels sorry for them. And though I love the NLT, I think that's a pretty bad translation. I believe that the word compassion here in its original language means this deep level of mercy that comes from deep within the stomach that you cannot ignore, that just simply moves you. And Jesus has that kind of level of compassion that leads him to take action and provide provision for these people. And church family, we often experience that same compassion through provision from our God. And yet, as I studied this passage, as I exegeted it against the culture that we call home here in today, I realized that though we worship Jesus as Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, for most of us in this room, we aren't receiving transcendent, unexpected provision. Which leads me to ask why? And I have to think that the reason we don't see it as much as we saw it in the days of Scripture is because we have extra layers of safety. We have our insurance. We have our rainy day funds. Our stomachs rarely growl. And that's good. That's not a bad thing to live a blessed life where God continues to shower abundance upon us. But we need to pay attention to that. Because when we live in that, we have to realize that it takes work 
to cultivate true dependence and reliance on the king. You see, if I'm honest, this is an area in my own life that I've had to work on. I was raised in a house where financial planning was a big deal. My dad was a pastor. My mom was a school teacher. We never lacked resources. There was always food on the table. My dad was big into helping people get out of debt in his congregation. He helped so many people get out of debt. He used this system, and he would help them consolidate their credit card debt. He would help them pay it down and establish that rainy day fund. He would teach them the envelope system, spending only that which they had. And of course, he had to impart it to his son. So I was one of those kids that grew up. My first $100 that I made shoveling snow, he taught me, you tithe on your first fruits. Then you ask God, is there anything else stirring in you that you want to give your offerings to? But after that, don't go buy new Nikes. Invest in your future. What's a way you could invest in your future? My dad got a kick of when the birthday money would come in every year, he would drive me to the bank and make me spend the first $25 on a U.S. savings bond. I mean, I was groomed to be like a financial planner as a kid. Let's celebrate that. It has done well for me. It has helped me understand these concepts. And yet, then I met my wife, Jess. <laughs> I realized that my upbringing was a little different than hers. Her stories were a little bit different. And though she was raised with, as a pastor's kid as well, her dad ministered in the inner city. And his church didn't quite have the resources to take care of him the way my dad's church did. And there were moments where he would have to go out often and, and hustle and, and work manual labor jobs just to get food on the table. And Jess tells the story of when she was six or seven years old and there was literally no food in the house and the table, they gather around the table and they begin to pray, Lord, would you provide for us? We have no food right now. We feel like we're doing your will. We have no food. And then the doorbell rings. And a guy that had just started going to their church, whose career is delivering tasty cakes to restaurants, drops off a big box of tasty cakes that are about to expire. <laughs> For those of you that are not from the East Coast and not have it, not experienced tasty cakes, tasty cakes are like little Debbie's, but good, <laughs> right? And, and, and especially this one on the upper right, the butterscotch crimpet. And, and could you imagine for a six or seven-year-old girl sitting at a table asking God to provide, and suddenly a box of tasty cakes shows up. That is modern day transcendent provision. And it cultivated something in my wife that helped her understand faith and generosity and how God just shows up over and over. And unlike my life, her life is filled with stories like these. When we brought our two kind of lives together and got married, melded those together, we both were better for it. Sure, I bring some of that safety net and that financial planning, but she possesses a generosity that hurts. She gives so much of her time and resources that it puts us in new levels of dependence on God and reliance on him. Please understand, I share this story not to encourage levels of recklessness with our finances, nor am I saying that stewardship and financial planning are bad. They are not. In fact, we offer Financial Peace University around here, and if you are having trouble understanding finances and how to handle them, I encourage you to take that. What I am simply saying here is that planning overdone which leads to a lack of self, uh, which leads to self-reliance and lack of dependency on God can be an issue. Jesus addresses it a lot throughout the Gospels. In fact, we'll look at it more next week. 
But what I see here is there are times when dependence on God comes from desperation, and there are times when dependence on God needs to be cultivated. In our time and day, that cultivation, that's a lot of times something that we need to do because we are blessed. In our context, in our time, in our place in history, we don't have to hit the desperation button all that often. But in the times of Scripture was written, it was much more common. And here we have this transcendent provision of bread. And just studying the passage takes me back to an Old Testament transcendent provision of bread. You know the story. The Israelites are wandering in the desert. And what happens every night? Every night on the floor of the desert shows up bread, manna, just enough to get the people through that day. God is creating a reliance and a dependency among his people that he calls his own by providing bread for them daily. And should any of them be selfish and not trust that God will provide tomorrow and take a little extra just in case it will spoil immediately. It's this beautiful story of the cultivation of trust in God's provision. But then we flash back to Jesus comes on the scene. And do you see that whenever Jesus is ministering, there's a level of abundance. It's not just enough to get by, but it's abundance. And here a story with transcendent provision of bread happens again, but there's abundance. Verse 37 says, they eat and they are full. No one is going away hungry. There is abundance. This is buffet style full. This is like you're going to the all-inclusive resort full. This is overdoing it. And it's a beautiful thing. Jesus comes and he brings the abundance. But this is the second place that we see something that's just a little bit different than the feeding of the 5,000. You see, in the feeding of the 5,000, when the disciples finish and they go and they clean up all the leftovers, scripture uses a word for basket that literally means a hand basket. And so they collect these little baskets. And yet here we are in this story with the Gentiles, with this people that the disciples don't even want to be there. They think that Jesus is wasting his time and his energy and his healing power on these people. And Jesus, why are you here? Let's get out of these Decapolis cities. Let's go back to the people that you are truly for. Why are you here? I don't think Jesus even says anything. I think he feeds the people and he says, go get the baskets. But the word for basket in the feeding of the five, 4,000, the feeding of the Gentile people, is a different size basket. It's a basket that two or three men probably couldn't even lift. The word for this basket is a large basket. It's a type of basket that the, the crippled man was lowered through the roof in. And Jesus, without even saying anything, is saying something to his disciples. Stop with your scarcity mentality. Stop with your selfishness. I am the king of kings and I come with abundance and I come for everyone. And here's the thing. The abundance doesn't stop there because this story, the feeding of the 4,000, not only sends us back to look at the manna provided in the desert, it doesn't just look at the Jesus' ministry, which is now extended to the Gentiles, but here Matthew is brilliantly foreshadowing what will happen in the future. Another transcendence of provision of bread in the person of Jesus. Because we know that Jesus himself is the ultimate provision. John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. A transcendent, unexpected provision greater than any other ever provided. The king becomes a man and sacrifices his life for us. A provision that is stirred from the compassion of God, the kind that stirs deep within the stomach. It is what drove creator God to offer his only son as a sacrifice for you and for me. A transcendent provision. An unexpected provision for all of humankind. Church family, as we close today, may we reflect on that. I want to leave you with both a challenge and an invitation. First, a challenge. As I said earlier, when we exegete this text against our current realities of living in a flourishing and blessed place in our world, where we are not short of provisions, I think it's important that we begin to cultivate dependence and reliance on God. We have to be willing to starve the physical to nourish and feed the soul. One of the ways that I want to encourage you to do that is we are in the midst of the season of Lent. Many of you are probably engaged in practices of Lent already, but many of you have probably, are probably not. And I just want to encourage you, amidst the richness of provisions and securities, which are really good things, there is that unintended consequence of lacking that reliance on him. And Lent speaks to this. To give generously in ways that cost us. To fast from things that we love. So can I encourage you? If you're not practicing Lent, would you go to our website? It's pretty easy to find. Just scroll down on the the homepage. You'll see Lent. Click on that and you'll see different resources that we want to provide for you. But can I encourage you this week to ask God, where are you calling me to be more generous in this season? And where do you want me to cultivate new levels of reliance on you through fasting? The invitation, the invitation today is to the Lord's table. Today we have the opportunity to take communion, to remember this transcendent gift, the greatest gift ever given. You see, generosity was poured out. He gave to us first. Next week, we'll talk about what it means to live in the kingdom and respond to his generosity. But this week, I want us to simply celebrate what Christ has done. The provision of bread, of nourishment. As the worship team comes, we want to prepare our hearts for communion. Scripture tells us that before we come to the table, that we need to examine ourselves. And I want to encourage you, even this morning, the altar is open. And for some of you, you might want to invite Holy Spirit to come as the one who convicts. You see, it's important that our confessions are current before we take the bread and the cup. And so can I encourage you to wait and ask Holy Spirit, is there anything he wants to reveal to you before you come? And once you are ready, I encourage you to come. We practice open communion here at Sam Alliance, which means simply this. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, if he is your king, if your allegiance is in him, we welcome you to join us in this practice. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends. And he confused them, I'm sure, because he took the bread that they were about to eat in the upper room and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood 
poured out for you for the remission of sins, a symbol of a new covenant that will be established. And so church family, today we get to come and remember the body and the blood broken and poured out for you and me. We reflect on the transcendent, unexpected provision that was Jesus laying down his life for us. Come when you're ready. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.